0: Um, I was literally thanking God for my wife this morning, because she is just, a, a lot of people do not understand where I was at when I met Christina, and um, if you enjoy anything about me or being your pastor, um, I didn't have any of that when I first met Christina. Uh, man, I was broke. I mean, this is real poor, man. <laughs> like, this ain't, like, some of y'all complain, eating avocado toast and drinking a latte. Like, Lord, where are you? Like, <laughs> get out of here. Um, But like I was living on a friend's futon. Like I lost everything. I was telemarketing Thousand Oaks. And I remember meeting Christina and dating Christina and knowing that this was my wife. So I thought that the Lord was going to deliver me from my brokenness since I had met the woman who's my wife because I got to be able to take her on dates. I got to be able to do. Now, this is not a reason for y'all to sit next to your boyfriend who's not motivated and go, thank the Lord. See, Julian, no, nope. No, I was motivated. I was just, the Lord removed out of my life, the thing that I was putting for him, which for me was money. (laughs) Um, So uh, I remember we were going to a concert and at this point, we're only dating like four weeks and and she didn't know where I lived because I wasn't telling her because I'm like, I'm gonna get out of this situation. By the time she comes to my house, it's gonna be amazing um, because I was doing, whatever, that was my plan. So she picks me up to go to this concert. She says, I have to use the bathroom. And I'm like, here? I don't want to go into my house. She's going to see all my clothes in the living room. And I was like, why don't we just use the bathroom? It's 10 minutes away. She's like, I have to use the bathroom right now. Like, I need to use the bathroom. And I go, okay, wait, I got to tell you something. I'm really poor. Like, I'm really broke. Like, I'm, God is doing something in my life. I lost everything when I believed in him. Da-da-da-da-da. she cut me off. She said, I have to use the bathroom. <laughs> and if you know Christina, you know that's exactly what she would do. So, she, she goes in there, I let her in the house, my stuff and my clothes are in the corner and there's like two of my roommates in there. She goes back and I'm like, it's over. Like, I know she's gonna go in there, it's over. So she comes back out of the car and she sits down and she says, you know, I know you might not be where you wanna be right now, but don't worry, God has already shown me everything he's gonna do in your life. And I remember this feeling of like this freedom that overcame me, that. If she believed in me, I could do anything. And that's why even when it's not your birthday, babe, I honor you so much. I would not be where I am without you. And uh, you are such a blessing. And not just with that stuff, but, like, she's the type of person to be with the kids all day, and if she feels like I had a rough day, um, she says, babe, don't worry. I'll, I'll, I'll keep the kids. I'll feed them. Go golf. And I'll go, really? All right. <laughs> <laughs> you say so, if you insist, she's like, I only said it once. Like, if you insist, if you're making me, I will. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Matthew 6. I really want to preach a message. I've been feeling super convicted to do my job. You know, pastors have a job to do, and it's to get you ready. Um, A lot of people don't understand what pastoring is. But pastoring is primarily caring and feeding. We have redefined pastoring today to someone who sits down and listens to you. So if we say someone's a good pastor, we mean they're a good listener. And a pastor is not a good listener because sheep couldn't talk. Man, I'm already preaching. So when people say, I want you to pastor me or mentor me, typically what they mean is, well, you come sit down with me for three hours. I do all the talking. And if you tell me to do something, I'll just say I'll pray about it. And then I can choose to do it or not. But no, pastoring is feeding. Peter was told to feed my sheep, which feed them the revelation of God's word. Feed them the word. So if your pastor is not feeding you, when you say I don't feel fed, that doesn't mean you don't feel spiritually. Because feeding, uh, a healthy feeding comes from a hungry person. To- typically, when people don't feel fed, it's because they're not hungry. But you ever been hungry and everything tastes good when you're hungry? Even things that are bad for you taste good. Well, when you come to church hungry, it makes my job easier because now I don't have to feed you something that you're craving. You're just hungry. And every nourishment that comes from the Word of God will make you feel fed because you came in hungry. But the second thing is for God to use uh, the Holy Spirit to give you uh, spiritual guidance and direction through that pastor. So any pastor that's feeding you, giving you spiritual guidance and direction to get you to where God's called you to be, they were going somewhere. And so I cannot have you in here every single Sunday if I don't profoundly believe that God is taking you somewhere and he's put me in your life to help you get there. Now, what's happened in the mega church is sometimes pastors make the mistake of thinking that He's God's put y'all in my life to help me get somewhere. A bigger church, no, I'm here to help. The church was for y'all. God created the church to strengthen you. And so what we're talking about this, this time, and, and when we say made for this, this is serious. If we actually take this in, and for some of us that are casually missed church or miss the Word of God, this is serious. Like we have got to be dedicated and committed to what God is doing. I believe this message today specifically is going to bless people and get them ready for all that God has for them. It's actually Jesus speaking um, in the Beatitudes, which is the Sermon on the Mount. The longest sermon Jesus ever preached was from these passages I'm going to read. And Um, It would uh, benefit you to read the Sermon on the Mount, but we're going to just stop in Matthew 6, verses 24 through 34. And Jesus opens up with this really compelling statement, and he says, no one can serve two masters. No one can serve two masters. This is a slavery term. This means that you're, you're, you're a slave to something. Now, in this context, slavery still existed in biblical times. I'm thankful that we live in a country that has uh, abolished slavery, but that does not change the context of this verse, because even though we live in a country that's abolished slavery, we are actually all at some point in our lives still a slave to something. What's been abolished is that you can no longer be a slave to someone. But what is not abolished is that you would become a slave to something. So the enemy knows that since you can't become a slave to someone in America, he will make you a slave to something. And Jesus is unpacking what most people can become a slave to, especially in Los Angeles, where the rent is high and it is due. Come on, somebody. <laughs> that rent, high in LA. You ever walk to somebody's studio apartment, like, how much you get this for? Oh, it's nothing, 5,000, what? Your bathroom and your kitchen and and your bed is in the same spot, and it's 5,000 a month? So especially here, you can start to really chase the money. They've actually come up with catchphrases like secure the bag and get to the bag and team no sleep because we're conditioned that we need to make money. And Jesus is saying no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. It doesn't say that you can, you know, it's hard to it says you can't. You cannot serve God and money. And the original word money was mammon, which means a spirit of desiring riches. You cannot serve your desire to be wealthy and God. You can't serve that. And and I just wanna talk to my men for a second, where culture has stripped us of our desires to be dads and our desires to be leaders in our community, and has replaced it with a desire for money. Think about this. Abraham is called the father of our faith. The person who began Christianity or the journey to have faith was a dad. And he told God, what good are all your blessings if I don't have a son? But today, men would likely tell God, what good are all your sons if I don't have your blessings? We want the money. And and you cannot serve both. And I believe culture has uh, ridiculed and shamed men for not having a lot of money. I still remember when TLC said, I don't want no scrub. <laughs> a scrub is a guy who can't get no love from me, hanging out the passenger side of his best friend's ride. Come on, who am I preaching to? Trying to holler at me. <laughs> and boy, every time I got in the passenger ride, I just want to ride to the airport. And I started feeling insecure about sitting in the passenger side, rolling down the window. Ain't nobody trying to holler. You're trying to say that I gotta have a car and it better be my car as I can't holler at you. I can, no, man. And then, like, we just started belittling men throughout music, if you really think about it. Beyonce was given directional to the left, to the left. Like, she said it twice. Like, girl, I heard you the first time. Pack up your stuff and move it to the left, which what is she saying? This is my house. So, some brother was living up in her house, and then it went left, and so he had to move his stuff to the left, to the left, but yet then Jay-Z cheated and she made lemonade. Uh, <laughs> Jay-Z, his stuff didn't go to the left, and how many of y'all girls, Kicked out your boyfriend and then she stayed with hers. There should be an uprising of anger, all y'all beehive women. You told me to break up with my boyfriend and I left him. I left my boyfriend because of that song and you stayed with yours. But what I'm saying is, it's like we just basically acted like men, like a handbag, a career boyfriend. Like they're just an accessory, not a necessity. And so what we did was we, we made men pursue this. I remember um, um, when music shifted, every artist in the 80s when I was growing up wanted to be in love. Like I was, kindergarten I wanted a girlfriend. I wanted to get married because Bobby Brown was, was out and he was like, only tenderonies can give a special love. And he was just like, being he'd be in the mirror, special kind of love that makes a good sign. And next thing you know, Snoop dropped, and it was over. We were calling girls out of their names, trying to get money. And we, what happened is, is culture made money our master. Not a blessing, our master. And everything we were thinking about and everything we did was motivated by trying to get ahead. It's what everybody posts. It's what everybody talks about. And Jesus is dealing with this exact same mindset in culture. And so he tells them you can't serve both God and money. And he says in verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap, or stowaway in barns. They don't have a savings account. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. What is God saying? You actually watch God care for things that he deems to be less valuable than you, and he provides for them, and if you see a bird is not worried about anything, why are you worried about something? You're a daughter and a son of a king. Are you, why are you worried? Have you ever seen a pigeon go, Lord, what are we gonna do? You ever seen an animal go, oh, God, Lord, if we don't find some bird seed, we're going to die. Lord, provide for us. No, he's saying, I don't even care about these as much as I care about you. And look how I provide for them. Look how I provide for them. And then he goes on and he says, "Um, are you not more valuable than they? Can you add a single hour to your life by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you of little faith? He's not saying this stuff does not matter. He's not saying set it aside. He's saying how much more will I do that for you? I'm going to do it for you. You do not have to worry about these things. He says, so don't do that. Don't worry saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans, which means unbelievers, run after all these things. Unbelievers, these things are their pursuit. He says, and your heavenly father knows that you need these things. And then verse 33, but seek first his kingdom And his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. All what things? The things that you worry about. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. There's a lot of phrases out there that um, sound really good, but they're not in the Bible. Only God can judge me. Sounds good, but that's not scripture. It's Tupac. It is. It is. That's where we got that from, it's a Tupac lyric. It's not in the Bible. God will not put more on me than I can handle. Also not in the Bible. The Bible says God will not allow you to be tempted more than you can handle. God will absolutely put more on you than you can handle and he will ask you to seek his Holy Spirit to help you handle what you cannot handle without him. Anybody who is blessed has more than what they can handle, but the Holy Spirit says I'm gonna help you handle what's more than what you can handle. Not in the Bible. You know what the other thing that's not in the Bible? Put God first is not in the Bible. Put God first is not in the Bible. So for those of you who think I gotta, it's God first, then family, then church. No, putting God first is not in the Bible. Matter of fact, the Bible says that that, that there is only one God. There is no order. He says, I have no God beside me or above me or around me. I alone am God. So it's not God in a room full of the things that you want in this life, and you need to learn to prioritize those things that are in the room. If anything is in that room other than God, God will bring it down so you know that in me, in me all things flow from your relationship with God. It's just God, and in Christ you'll get your wife. In Christ you'll get your provision. In Christ you'll find your purpose. It's all in the realm of Christ. It is not God, then this, then that. God says I don't want anything beside me. It doesn't say put first. It says seek first the kingdom which is God's way of doing things, his truth. See, the kingdom is no joke. I need to tell somebody today who believes in Jesus but doesn't seek the kingdom, that the kingdom is no joke. I am an avid golfer, as many of you may know, and the the professional golfers, I don't care who it is, Arnold Palmer, Tiger Woods, some of the most legendary golfers to ever play this game, have all played for the PGA Tour. Anybody familiar with the PGA Tour? Unlike the NBA where you can, if you don't make it in the NBA, you can go to Europe and play professional basketball overseas. You can play professional basketball in Australia. You can play professional football in Canada. There's a Canadian football league. Well, in golf, you are either an amateur or you play for the PGA. There was no other professional league for almost 60 years until Live Golf showed up. Anybody heard of Live Golf? Live golf uh, was started by a Saudi Arabian prince who has access to almost a trillion dollars of a private fund, which means he is the steward of seven hundred million dollars, seven hundred million dollars. And so this king who is over a kingdom in Saudi Arabia decided two years that he likes golf. And so he started recruiting PGA Tour players and giving them hundred million dollars. I mean, guys who had only made 15 million dollars in their career, 30 million dollars in a career. And he was writing checks for 100 million, 200 million because he had almost a trillion dollars, 700 billion dollars he has access to. Sorry, 700 billion dollars. And so he's writing check after check after check. Next thing you know, PGA Tour announces that after 50-something years of being the only thing going, they are closing and merging with Live because they don't have the resources to compete with Live because they are not a kingdom. Let me just explain something to you. A king decided he likes golf, and now something that has been around for 60 years doesn't exist. That is how powerful a kingdom is, and that is an earthly kingdom. Now I want you to imagine a heavenly kingdom where our king is Jesus, and for 55 years, you could not get ahead in your life, and a king could decide he's going to bless you, and what's been going on in your life for 55 years is over because a king decided that it is. Let me just back up a second and say that a kingdom in a heavenly kingdom is so powerful that something could be going on in your family for 55 generations. Your great-great-great-great-great-great-grandma could be a drunk, and you're getting delivered from addiction because a king said, today is the day. Matter of fact, you could have generations of poverty, and a king could decide that I'm blessing you with generational wealth, and now poverty for 55 generations has come to an end because a king decided he likes you, but our king says he loves you. So how many things in your life can end today if you would just get in the kingdom? You would just get in the kingdom. (laughs) Sexuality doesn't mean anything in the kingdom, straight or otherwise. So when you celebrate and honor things that are not of the kingdom, the culture tries to get you outside of the kingdom. And it's not that those things don't matter. They're not kingdom. They're not kingdom. So when Jesus said the kingdom was here, I need to let you know, I need to let you know what they would have been thinking. Because what happens is when we say kingdom, we get a bunch of religious people like, yeah, preach to them, Pastor Julian. Tell them about all the things that culture does that's not kingdom. No, that's what they would have been thinking. Because everybody who would have heard those words would have thought that Jesus was there to forcefully make culture align with God. So if they were talking about, uh, uh, let's say the Bible would have said, which it does, you know, uh, marriage is between a man and a woman. The kingdom of God is near. Great, you're going to make a law that says that only these people can marry them. And Jesus was like, no, actually, I'm going to get people to repent and be saved. Okay. Oh, oh, you don't, you want people to keep their babies? Oh, you're going to make a law that says that they have to because the kingdom is here. So it's government. They would have been thinking that Jesus is going to get rid of Caesar, get rid of this person, and put a Christian or, 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 or in the place of government authority. That's what they've been thinking because they were under the— the oppression of Rome, so when Jesus said the kingdom was here, they were thinking that Jesus was going to replace ungodly leaders with godly ones. Isn't that? Does that sound familiar? Because in the Old Testament, whenever Jesus God was moving forward, enemies died. The Hittites died. The uh, uh, Am- Amorites died. The Jebusites died. The Amalekites died. So whenever the kingdom moved forward in the Old Testament, they got rid of pagan Government systems to move gods forward. But now Jesus, when he said the kingdom of God was here, that had never been said in the Old Testament. So it was not the same thing. Those were God disposing of earthly kingdoms, but he was announcing a heavenly kingdom. And the heavenly kingdom is not getting rid of the Amalekites and Jebusites and Hittites. The earthly kingdom was getting rid of the termites that the devil put in you that prevents you from doing all that God has called you to do. And it was a move of righteousness for believers. The kingdom of God and his righteousness. It wasn't the dispatch of all the other things we deem to be less righteous. It was the righteousness of God manifesting itself through believers. And they weren't supposed to be worried about what other people were doing. But they wouldn't have been thinking about that. they ain't thinking about if Jesus came and said that, we're like, man, Like, and I said this last week, where well-meaning believers are boycotting corporations that they don't agree with. And never, never, never in this history of Scripture did Jesus say to confront that stuff. He says, confront even the smallest fraction of that stuff in you. Do you know why? Because I'm trying to exalt you to that place. So I need to deal with what's in you and then send you to work for Target. That's his plan. And the righteousness of God would just be so apparent. Think about this. We can have unrighteous leaders all the time. None of them were worse than Nebuchadnezzar in the Bible. Read Babylon. If you think, I don't care if you think Trump is bad, if you think Biden is bad, Nebuchadnezzar was a psycho. He was insane. And God didn't do anything about it. Matter of fact, he had Daniel serve Nebuchadnezzar. And when Daniel got a bad prophetic word about Nebuchadnezzar, do you know how Daniel gave Nebuchadnezzar the word? Imagine you being Democrat and God giving you a word for Trump or you being a conservative and God giving you a word for Joe Biden. This is how Daniel gave an evil king the word. Oh, precious king, if only this word was for someone else and not you. But you about to wander around in the wilderness for seven years. It's going down because you dishonored God. My bad. I wish I didn't have to tell you that. I was hoping the Lord would bless you. His posture was not finally Nebuchadnezzar's getting what he deserves and replacing Nebuchadnezzar with a godly king. No, that's not what it means. We don't replace culture. We influence culture. Does that make sense? So it's not, hey, can we make a law to where you have to, you have to keep your baby? We, we're gonna make a law. No, 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 we're gonna give you a revelation, because here's why. This is so important you get this. Because here is what was happening. They would have understood something that you and I don't understood, understand, is that when they said king, when they said God, there was one God, and they were the only people who believed in one God. Everyone else believed in multiple gods. And one of the gods they believe in, so what we think is God, and if you don't believe in God, it's just the devil. No, they honestly thought that there were other gods doing other things. So one of the gods they believed in was the god called Baal. And Baal was the god that controlled fertility. So the fertility god was a way to control getting pregnant or not being pregnant. And it was a way that you served that god. So what happens was, is this God would ask, uh, uh, Moms and parents to give up their babies, sacrifice their babies in the fire as an act of worship. And people did it because they thought it would bless not just the fertility of their wombs, but the fertility of their crops, the fertility of everything. They were worshiping a God of fertility. And so what happens is, is that same spirit is in society today because God declares children to not be consequences of sex, but a blessing sent from heaven. And so the, the enemy wants you to think your child is a consequence of your sexual act and God's trying to bless you and so it's not he's trying to bless you because how many of y'all had a kid when you was out there wilding? anybody have a kid when you are like oh snap I'm pregnant and that kid calmed you down next thing you know you got a job and even though raising your kid is tough shout out to the single moms who did not give up who had the this is it's a revelation And so here's what righteousness does. Righteousness increases the glory on your life. I feel like preaching today because glory has rules. Now, every law of God, the laws of God are needed and they're valuable, but everyone, everyone was given in the glory of God. I wish I would have said this to the 930. When God came and get a law, do not kill, do not do this, do not have an abortion, this is God's view of sexuality, this is this, every one of those things came in the atmosphere of glory. So why? Is there righteousness should we seek when God gives us a gift of righteousness for free? Do you know that the Bible in its grace says that you are righteous? No matter what you've done, you are righteous. So why should we be seeking on doing righteous things? Because Christ in you, righteousness is the hope of glory. So when you are righteous, you release glory. And glory is the atmosphere that truth is spoken in. So if if Christians don't want to be righteous, then we cannot provide the atmosphere for truth to be spoken in. My wife and I, we got taken to a nice restaurant by some friends of ours that we cannot afford, and that restaurant was called Nobu. Boy, I went in there, man, like they took us to Nobu, I was like, shoot, I ain't never been to Nobu. I heard of FUBU, but I ain't heard of Nobu. Man, we had some Ferraris parked in there, man. And then we valeted our Kia. I was so embarrassed. And then Christina made me go get it. Well, we go in this restaurant, man, and, like, people just eating all this, like, fish that ain't cooked. I was like, is this catfish? No, it's yellowtail. I didn't know catfish had yellow tails. Like, what the hell? You know, I'm in there asking for black food. Like, can you put some cornmeal on this and fry it? <laughs> just in there, all kind of black. Eating our steak the black way, well done. Come on, black people. Remember the first time? Come on, black people. Where you at? Come on, remember, I'm going to take you back to the first time you went and ate steak with a white person and they cut it open and it looked like a film from Saving Private Ryan. Looked like a scene from Saving Private Ryan they cut on their steak and they were like, this is how you're supposed to eat it. I'm like, really? I thank God for my white steak mentors who finally got me, stopped me eating burnt steak. Black people, you need to be delivered. Go eat steak with a white person at no boo and get your steak cooked the right way. This is racist relieving. <laughs> this is true. I'm, I'm be honest. I, I, first time I had steak like that. So we had no boo, man. And it was amazing. And it was awesome. But you know what it did? It made me think about what I'm saying: is how. Um, it it started to feel good that we could be there. What if we could eat like this all the time? And I saw kids in there, but at the end of the day, God is not trying to bless you so you can just go to Nobu all the time. He's trying to give you righteousness because one righteous person, I just tell somebody, even we preach people, Sodom and Gomorrah was burned down for their sin. Lies, lies, lies. Solomon B- Gomorrah was burned down because God couldn't find one righteous person. One righteous person can save a city. So we need to stop complaining about culture and say, God, if you make me righteous enough, I can shift the city. Now, how righteous would you need to be to shift the entertainment industry? You think God has sent you into darkness? Come on. He's not going to send you into darkness and you're dark too? I'm telling you. Righteousness. Righteousness. The Bible says when Jesus came, righteousness and peace kissed each other. Righteousness. But not the righteousness that comes from you, a righteousness that comes from God. But God's saying I'm giving you righteousness on credit and then I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit to help you be righteous so you can shift. And the threat to righteousness is always judgment. I was always worried about what the Hittites are doing, what other people are doing. This is why you don't see me ever use my Instagram platform to post anything about what other people are doing. And you have whole Christians railing against Pride Month. And God is like, you evil, wicked, treacherous. Do you not know that you are no different than them if it wasn't for my grace? Truth is whispered in community and grace is shouted from the rooftops. When they were building the foundation of the temple in Zechariah, Zechariah 3, look it up. The Bible says the prophet came and told Zerubbabel to build the temple and shout grace to it. So when you're building up the life of a person, you have to be shouting grace and whispering truth. And that's why the pursuit of personal righteousness enters into the glory of the Lord, and where there is glory, there should be profound truth-telling. The reason why I can tell the truth in this space is because God's glory is in this space. But if we're going to take God's glory into our workplaces, we're going to take God's glory into our entertainment, if we're going to take God's glory into a business meeting, we have to have the righteousness of God manifesting in our lives. People cuss more than ever now, and we We don't do anything. We don't work on our personal righteousness and ask the Holy Spirit. We don't desire it because you know what? We think we can change the world with wealth. Wealth is not the problem with the world. Righteousness is. And God says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and I'm going to add things to you that other people would love to have. Not you. You want my kingdom and you want righteousness. You know how hard this is going to be for LA church to pull this off. Do you know how hard this is going to be? Because first of all, we're going to have to actually listen to God's word about what he says about all the issues culture says is something different. And then we're going to not have to judge people who view it differently. My kids, man, are so on point with this, especially like Bailey and, um, Dallas, we were talking about like even this stuff and this is important that we understand this because we, we teach our kids about personal righteousness, doing the right thing, character. I teach my son about character. I'm like, buddy, you got to have good character. Why well, we got to work on your character. I think you're a good kid, but character is when what's in you and your actions are integrated. Because we see, man, he's a good person, but no, if he doesn't have character, if she doesn't have character, this is why righteousness is so important. And I'm telling you right now, there's somebody in here that if you would just desire his kingdom and his righteousness, God would add so many things to your life you've been pursuing. But instead, when we get that righteousness, we start to notice people who aren't righteous. And that's not what righteousness is for. That's self-righteousness. If you notice someone who's not righteous, if you are angry and not grieved. God is slow to anger, slow. If you are mad at culture and not grieved and don't call it holy anger, you're not righteous enough to be angry. The righteousness of God. So when me, when I wanna be frustrated with other people are doing, I'm thinking that's Old Testament. I think that Jesus is supposed to come and rid me of all my enemies and put me at the top. No, the New Testament is the kingdom of God is here. You repent you seek my first my kingdom you seek first righteousness and i'm going to add things to your life that the unbelievers want and why does god do that to get their attention that there is one true king i'm telling you i'm telling you he will open up doors he will open up doors that you couldn't possibly imagine so when i realized i felt called to pastoring i just realized this recently, why God called me. God did not call me because I have this preaching gift. God didn't call me because I, how much I knew the Bible. God called me because there was unrighteousness in his church. There was unrighteousness on his platforms, that people were desiring different things in his righteousness. And God was raising me up to crave and desire and hunger and thirst for righteousness. And I know that's a tough word because nobody wants that. We want grace, and God will give it to you. But if you want his glory to be revealed in your life, you need to hunger and thirst for righteousness and just simply doing the right thing according to God's word. And there's some tough stuff in God's word. And I think we try to basically just beat people over the head with Bible instead of live it. And God promises, I'm going to add things to your life. So I want you to literally take this thing that you're believing for, this thing that you are worried about, and I want you to understand that God is trying to give it to you if you would seek first his kingdom. But when he was talking to them, they thought that seeking his kingdom meant getting rid of the people who were there and replacing them with godly people. Man, if we just had a better president, if we just had a better governor. Man, man every, the, the, it's all corrupt, guys. It's all, I've been in those spaces. It's one side is not better than the other. One side looks better than the other, depending on your personal perspective. It's all corrupt. It's all based on a corrupt system because none of those people usher in the glory of the Lord before they make a law. That's what it would take, and that's what it's going to take for you. And so they thought that this was positional authority, They thought that it was gonna be like David was, which is why he was referred to as the son of David. They thought Jesus was gonna restore it when things were all good. But no, he was saying, I'm gonna do a radical thing. When he said the kingdom of God, he meant first and foremost, the kingdom of God has to be within you, and then it'll start to manifest around you. And God is gonna raise up some serious wealthy people in this church. God's gonna raise up some seriously gifted people in this church, but we have to be a people who seek the kingdom, which is God's way. His truth. There's a rejection of truth in the church where we're actually trying to be so loving that we're liars. Like, I can't lie to you. But oftentimes, we're not called to preach the truth. We're called to teach the truth. So we preach the gospel. So the truth is the uncovering. I wish I would have said this at the nine thirty. But the truth is revelation. It's without prophetic revelation, people perish. So revelation means to uncover. So imagine this, the Bible is this massive blanket, massive blanket, and every day you wake up, it's rolled up. And God wants you to unveil this blanket to people, which is the truth of his word. Sometimes we ball the blanket up backwards to where the tip of the blanket that we unfold first is God's revelation about sexuality or God's revelation about sin. And that's what we tell people first. But we actually rolled the blanket up backwards in the morning because it's always supposed to start off with the revelation about Jesus and what he did on the cross. So the first revelation you unfold in anyone's life is that Jesus died. He came, he lived a sinless life, and he's a sacrifice for your sins. And if you just come to him, all who are weary, he will give you rest. That's the first corner of the blanket. And if you do not unroll anything but that corner of that revelation your entire life, you are called an evangelist. But we we, we roll it up backwards. And now we tell people things that Their their souls aren't ready to hear. Jesus said to his disciples, there's so many things I want to tell you, but your souls can't bear it. But when the Holy Spirit comes in glory, he will lead you to all truth. So as spirit-filled believers, we live righteous, and then we get in the lives of people, and God's glory shows up, bringing a light to the world, And now people in darkness can see the light in God's word. But without glory, God's word becomes oppressive to people. So that's where the personal righteousness and our deep desire to be holy is so important. Because you can preach if you want to, but there's a different type of preacher. When he preaches, when he shares truth, the glory of God shows up. The Bible says when Peter preached that his words pierced the heart of his listeners. Peter did the preaching, the Holy Spirit did the piercing. If we're going to tell people the truth, we got to tell them in the atmosphere of glory so when people do the preaching, the Holy Spirit does the piercing and then it goes into their heart and grows and bears fruit. This is what we're going to need. We're going to seek righteousness. Righteousness. Personal righteousness. Because guess what? I don't think culture is as bad as you think. That's somebody's son you're talking about. That's somebody's daughter you're talking about. And I remember when we were asking our kids, um, like what they felt about all this stuff going on and how culture is so much different from the Bible. And Bailey uh, Dallas in his normal, he's prophetic, he's so cute. He said, man, I, I just, dad, these people are crazy. They're trying to make us crazy. I'm like, dad. And Bailey was like, that's his view of theology. And Bailey was like, Dallas, older sister, do not call people crazy because they don't believe what you believe. We're Christians, but they're not. We believe the Bible, but they don't. So you need to accept them and you need to love them. And I said, but Bailey, what about when they do something that's against the word? She's like, dad, I already said not everybody's a Christian. God created all of us. But when you don't know that, you try to do things to make yourself happy. I said, oh, snap. Like, I like, like. and we're supposed to understand that and we're supposed to love them. So maybe one day we can have the opportunity to tell them that God created them. I'm like, I'm raising an angry prophet and an evangelist. I was so proud. Cause low key, they were both right. High key, they were both right. No, this is crazy. But baby's like, hey, don't say that about them. Don't say that about them. Because she has people in her space that she deeply loves. And one of the things that I love about our family right now is that, that, especially our kids, is they're actually learning what God's word says for themselves. But we focus in our home about our family doing the right thing, submitted to God. Even she'll say things to me like, Dad, at what age can I have a boyfriend? I'm just curious, I don't want a boyfriend. I'm just saying, what age can I have a boyfriend? And I said, why are you asking me that? What age can I have a boyfriend? I said, there's no age. I said, when I see that the Holy Spirit and the Word of God helps you make your decisions, whatever age that is, when I see that you make decisions based off the Holy Spirit leading you and based off the Word of God, that's when you can have a boyfriend. If that's 25, you're going to be lonely a long time, girl. Well, it's not an age. How does the Word of God and how does the Holy Spirit help you make your decisions? And I see Bailey deeply craves the righteousness of God, I don't even know if she would call it that but she's craving I believe God's going to exalt her and her brother's known for having tons of gifts and he's so talented he's so gifted but I think some of the times she can't find out exactly what she wants to do because I think that God's going to use her righteousness to exalt her and that's what he wants to do in your life too, and so I want you to stand to your feet right now because here's the thing here's the thing There are people in this room, myself included, that have desires that are not in the Bible. We all have them. We all have them. And what I'm asking you to do is you know what those desires are that are not in the Bible. Sometimes it it, it could be anything. But I'm not asking you to stop. I'm asking you to start asking the Holy Spirit to give you a absolutely profound thirst and hunger for righteousness. Because it is the righteousness of God that ushers in the kingdom of God. And if we do this and we say, God, give me your righteousness. The things that you worry about are a part of the kingdom already. The things that you pray about and believe for and you work so hard for, the the bag you're trying to secure, all that stuff is in the kingdom. But he needs you to seek first the kingdom, which is God's way of doing something. Because you can know the will, but doing it the devil's way. You can It's God's will for you to have money, and then the devil wants you to do get God's will his way. But no, seek the kingdom, God's way, God's government, God's leading, and his righteousness. And maybe that's not what you were looking for when you came to church on a Sunday morning. But the first act of getting that righteousness is to... Get it for free. Jesus became sin on the cross, which means he literally took every sin that you and I have and he became that sin on the cross. Took the wrath of God that you might become the righteousness of God is what the Bible says. And so Jesus gives you a free perspective of righteousness. So what I'm saying to you is, is even if you're on a journey with what I'm talking about, by faith, Jesus doesn't look at you and go, man, he's further along than him or she's further along than her. He looks at you all by faith Literally, this is what he did. He, he treated Jesus like Jesus lived your life so that he could treat you like you lived Jesus' life. It's the doctrine of substitution. that he, so, so you're not getting rid of your sin to please God because God is happy. God absolutely loves you the way that you are. He loves you with all those desires, which is why he isn't changing them. He's not making them different on purpose. And the culture, the church tells you just pray, pray it away, pray it away. No, 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 he's not changing it on purpose because he knows that if he changes that, you'll think you're a better Christian. He wants you to do it by grace. And he wants to give you a hunger and thirst for righteousness. Whatever that means, Lord, I want to be righteous. I want to be righteous. And as you do that, he's going to use the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. This is a prophetic word foolish things how did God use that person look at their sin they don't do that and God's going to use the foolish things of the world to shame the wise as you say because he knows I can't tell you I don't know where you're at I don't know where you've been I don't know where you came through but God knows if your heart really hungers for his righteousness and so maybe you didn't come in here seeking that but it isn't putting God first is what are you searching for are you searching for God's character and are you searching for God's way and if you search for God's character and you search for God's way, God says, I will add to you all the things you worry about. I will add to you all the things you worry about. So if that's you and you came here worried about something, let's switch the worrying to seeking God's character, His righteousness, and His kingdom. If you need help doing that from the Holy Spirit, because listen, that's a Holy Spirit thing. That ain't something you could decide to do. The Holy Spirit has to help you. I want you to lift your hands. and I'm just going to pray for you.